0: True faith, true faith in the Christian community. True living together one another in the Christian community means there's no such thing as partiality. This text is pretty clear, it's pretty straightforward. That that Christians don't, we shouldn't value one person over the other. In fact. In fact, it's antithetical to the gospel. It's the exact opposite of what the gospel is, showing one person favor above another. It means that as Christians, if we partake in this, that what we're really doing is that we're not viewing the world through God's eyes, through a Christian worldview. But what we're doing is that we have adopted a worldly worldview. And we're viewing and evaluating things based upon the world. You see, the family of God should be a place where people of all ethnicities, all socioeconomic status come in and gather together for one purpose, and that is the proclamation and the worship, proclamation of the gospel and the worship of God. In fact, it should be so unique that when the world sees what we're doing, it makes no sense to them. Because the thing that binds us together is the gospel. And is our Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. But things have gotten so messed up. Several weeks ago, we we looked at this topic in chapter 1 of the book of James. And as we are going through this book, here we hit it again. And several weeks ago, a month or two ago, when we were in chapter 1, verses 9-11... through we looked at this whole idea of the rich and the poor, and and we talked about how James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was turning things right side up, that he was reorienting us. And today we see it again. And one of the things that I want to start with is this slogan that I've heard that I don't believe is true, but I used to hear it a lot probably many years ago when it came to ethnicity, and that was this, is that Hey, listen, Lewis, I'm colorblind. I don't see ethnicity differences. Now, what someone is trying to say when they're saying that is that they, they, they don't want to, they don't want to be seen as racist, as valuing one race over the other. But the reality is, is that we see color, we see ethnicity. So it's kind of silly to say, I, I don't see it. I'm colorblind. No, no, no. We see it. The problem is, the problem is when it comes to ethnicity, when it comes to race, the problem is is that when we judge someone based upon the color of their skin or the background of their ethnicity, you're not colorblind, you see it. Just like when we look at this text and we say, and we hear this parable, there's really a parable in verse two and three of this, rich man that comes into the assembly wearing fine rings and fine clothing and a poor man, some of us are tempted to say, I don't see it. Baloney. You see it. You notice if somebody were to come in our assembly, our meeting this morning, and let's say that they were really poor. Let's say they came in and they, they smelled like a Like a campfire, because that was the only way they had to heat their home. Let's say that maybe they hadn't showered in a couple of days because they don't have the same luxury as you and I do about showering. And let's say they just didn't have good clothes to wear. you notice it. We notice it. I was driving up the road the other day and saw a man sitting on the side of the road. Obviously, this man was impoverished, and it was obvious that he didn't look like he belonged. We notice it. And we notice the other as well. If somebody were to come into our meeting this morning, wearing, I don't know how expensive suits should be. I should have consulted with Gary beforehand. (laughs) But if somebody were to come into our gathering and they were wearing a $2,000 suit, just dressed to the nines, or, or maybe for some of you kids, I think, or, or, or Jeezy's, are those the expensive sneakers? I don't know what they're called. Whatever they are, they're sneakers that are like thousands of dollars, and kids just like, it's weird. They just are like, oh, look at those shoes. And I'm like, oh, they are shoes. We notice, in fact, not too long, well, several years ago, I come out of my office getting ready to preach, and all the, the youth boys are coming up the uh, they're coming up the stairs and they're like, Lewis, Lewis, Lewis. I'm like, what? And they're like, somebody drove a Lamborghini to church today. I have no idea who it was. And then I was asked the next week, do you think they'll be back? <laughs> we notice. We notice. I- I've never had one of those same youth be like, Lewis, Lewis, Lewis. This guy drove this uh Ford Pinto that the muffler was dragging into church. Do you think they'll be back? Hasn't happened yet. Maybe after the sermon. We notice. And in fact, if we want to be really honest, we notice even smaller variances in socioeconomic status than these two extremes that I have pointed out. And the sin isn't the fact... That somebody can afford to drive a Lamborghini to church and somebody can only afford to walk to church. That's not the sin. If we look, the sin is this. In the NASB, it's favoritism. Maybe a better translation is partiality. That we value one person over the other. You know, one of the things as Damon mentioned I love the fact that Amy uh, has taken it upon herself and uh, is gathering these goods for this free yard sale. And one of the things that I want people in our community who are less fortunate to know, I love that they come onto this campus and they shop for themselves and we're able to bless them. But the other thing that I always try to tell the folks who come to the yard sale is this, like literally this, you are welcome here. We want you here. You know, there's been this problem historically on this mountain. Where people who are less fortunate. There are just places they just don't feel like they belong. And brothers and sisters, I pray that churches. I pray that Signum Mountain Bible Church in particular is not one of those places. I pray that all people, all people who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in the Lord would feel like they belong here. James, as he's writing, James is a, a Jewish man. The, the pastor, the shepherd, the head elder at the church in Jerusalem. As he's writing, and we think he was writing probably to Jewish people. He is writing to people who have an interesting relationship with religious figures. As we went through the book of Mark together, one of the things that we saw is that Jesus really ruffled the Jewish religious. Authorities feathers, he really ruffled them, didn't he? That the picture that we get from the Gospels of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And those who were in charge of 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 maintaining and boarding on this great faith was one of where they cared about status, they cared about appearance. They cared about money, they cared about their clothing. And Jesus, as he came, angered them because. His kingdom, the kingdom that he was after was not one of this world, and so it really it really displayed a light on the evil intentions of these men, the selfish intentions fact, things had gotten so far off, it's not like God designed it. One, one of the things I want to do that you may think is a little weird, particularly you may say, well, that's random. Hopefully this will tie together. Do you know the chapter breaks in the Bible are not inspired by God? Somebody put those there years and years and years and years and years, and years later. And so one of the things that does us a disservice sometimes when we're reading our Bibles that we have these chapter breaks or these verse breaks and our brains naturally kind of do this thing to where we maybe stop or we maybe shift gears. And sometimes it can be even worse when we have like headings. Like I have a heading in my Bible that says the sin of partiality. And that tempts us to forget what has come before. I want you to not read in your Bibles this morning. Just hear me. Let me read from the New American Standard. I'm going to read it exactly like it is. But I just want you to hear this in the flow, because I think this is supposed to be in our minds. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality. I think as the original hearers of this, these these Jewish believers heard this when as Gary preached last week, when they heard this term, the orphans and the widows, just as Gary said last week, they saw this as a category, as the vulnerable, as those who who needed to be helped and, and that true religion, true faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is that we love whom he loves. And as this is in their mind, then they hear this whole idea about not holding our faith in Christ with personal favoritism. And I think one of the things that came to their mind, again, just like with the orphans and widows of going back to their history and knowing that in the Old Testament, in the law, that God had made a way to protect just some of the verses we heard this morning. The orphan, the widow, the alien that just as they heard that when they heard when they read this from James it took them back and i just want to i just want to point out two sections of scripture to you this morning one is in the book of leviticus in leviticus chapter 19 verse 15 you shall do no injustice in judgment you shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. That as as this is being written, as God is giving the law to His people, what God is saying is part of His design is that you, people of God, you shall not do injustice to the poor. And over in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we have this same idea, starting in verse 15. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and officers for your tribes. Then I charged your judges at that time, saying, hear the cases between your fellow countrymen, and judge righteously between, the ma- between a man and his fellow countrymen, or the alien who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear small and the great alike. You shall not fear man for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it. That God's design for God's people is for God's people to show no partiality. This is what verse 5 is all about. Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God, what? Choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him. So when we hear this, as James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us that God designed, God chose the poor. This should... Blow our minds. It's part of the plan. One of the things that it should echo in our mind is is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul was talking about his discipleship and he talked about um, how ragged and beaten and poor that they were. There's some sarcasm in there, but we get the point. Paul wasn't a rich man. Certainly, we know that Jesus is said to have what? There was no place for him to lay his head. The apostles were not rich, elegant men. They were poor. God chose this ragamuffin group of people to turn the world upside down with his gospel. Later in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul, when talking about divisions and bringing it all together, is essentially saying there's one faith. There's one Holy Spirit. There's one group of people. Slave. Greek, free, we're all together and that we all have a purpose in the assembly of God. We all have a work to do. Is this how we view wealth? In verse 5. That wealth is being rich in faith. Heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who loved Him. Rich in what? Faith. Is that our goal? Heirs of where? The kingdom of heaven. Is that what we're banking on? So what is true wealth? What or where is Is the true value. It's not in your socioeconomic class. It's not in how much money you make. It's in faith and being doers of the word. This is what matters. And. I have my chair. (laughs) Here's here's the point of the sermon where we sit in the chair. Under God's word. And we let God's Word challenge us. We sit in this chair and we ask ourselves, why? Why is this our tendency? I mean, look at verse 4. Have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil motives? In other words, That there are people in the assembly of God, in the church, that when they're showing partiality, what James is telling us is that that we've made distinctions and we're judging with evil motives. We're judging with evil motives because we're not judging according to how the Lord Jesus Christ judges, how God judges. We're judging according to worldly things. And it's calling that evil. And I want to say, I want to challenge us, challenge us that far too often, We're doing this, and I want to sit you in the chair, sit me in the chair and ask why. I mean, I think this parable, verse two and three, if we're honest with ourselves and we listen to this parable, it makes us uncomfortable. Which person are you more attracted to that comes into the church? What would you do? I think if we're honest, we would all say that there's an. many times there's an automatic preference that we may have. We want to ask why. I think it's important for us to ask why. Weeks ago, one of the things that we talked about is that according to Jewish culture, and I think that we can get in this trap a little bit, but I don't think this is the main motivating thing, is that sometimes in Jewish culture it was looked at that wealth was seen as the result of somebody being blessed. And sometimes I think we get trapped in some of that at times, but I don't think this really goes to the deep heart of it. Can we be honest? Why is it that we show preference? It's Because you want what they have. going on inside of us. We envy. Man, that's what I want. That money, that status. Maybe that luxury. We're just attracted to it, aren't we? Our heart. At those moments, our heart is displayed at times that Money or God, money is our God, it's our idol. And and it's it's crazy because at times we're attracted to it just like a moth to a light. In fact, when I read verse 3, the one who's wearing the fine clothes, you say, sit here in a good place. It almost sounds like someone who has a crush on somebody. Who? The heart's fluttering. You sit here. Again, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with there being people in the church who have a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with there being people in the church who don't have a lot of money. But the problem is, the problem is. Is that many of us are not seeing the world clearly and money is instead of just being something that is necessary to kind of make it through this world that God gives and some of us more than others, that that becomes the driving force in our lives. So much so that we fall into this sin of partiality. The problem in sitting in this chair is that our gaze, our focus, our heart is on the wrong thing. Now, as James was writing, I I think there was something that James wanted us to see That I think as Bible readers, sometimes we don't always pick up on what we're supposed to pick up on in the text. In James, one of the characteristics of James, some people are critical of the book of James, because James only mentions Jesus and the title of Jesus two times in the book. And one is, you would expect, at the very beginning. In verse 1, we see, we read, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only other time that James mentions Jesus and his title is here. It, not only that, but there's a weird, um, th- there's an odd construction here. In fact, it's so odd that some, uh, some biblical folks want to say that, hey, uh, we think this was added later, this title was added later, and I think that's baloney. I think what's going on here is James is trying to get our attention He's trying to wake us up to something that many times that we just gloss over. So first of all, what I want you to see is this title. Look, James could have said this. My brethren, do not hold your faith in Jesus with an attitude of personal favoritism. And we would have gotten it. He could have even just said, brothers, don't hold your faith in the Lord with an attitude of personal favoritism, and we would have got it. He could have also said, brothers, don't hold your faith in Christ. James pens these words, Lord Jesus Christ. Focusing us, having us draw our attention to who he is. This is Jesus, the glorious Christ. He's the center, should be the center. He's the exalted one. His is the name that is above all names. And James is calling our attention to this. And then we get this weird little phrase that is translated differently in in most of our translations. In In the NASB, it says, of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. In the ESV, it says, the Lord of glory after Jesus Christ. And it's pointing us to this same thing about how great he is. He's exalted, he came, he lived, he lived a sinless life, he laid down his life. He died on the cross, he rose from the grave and brothers and sisters or those of you here who may not be a brother and sister, what you need to hear today is that it's by that name that you can be saved, that you can be reconciled from God for God to God your sins can be forgiven it's in that name it's in this work of this glorious Lord Jesus Christ he's full of grace of love and power and glory and all glory belongs to him and him alone and when we see him for who he is the things of this world Fade away. The glories of this world, the riches, the shoes, the cars, fade away in comparison with the glory of this Savior. (laughs) And, And so the idea here is this, my brethren, do not hold, again, the NASB says your faith. Other translations rightfully say the faith with an attitude of personal favoritism. In other words, if we are in a position to where we're judging people based on worldly things. You're not demonstrating who you are as a Christian, as a Christian, as a Christian, we are people who have faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and that is all that matters. You can't. Have faith in this world and judge according to partiality. I mean, this Lord, this Christ versus the rich of this world. Is it really a comparison? Is it really a comparison? I mean, James goes further. Look in verse six. But if you have dishonored the poor man, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court that... James is pointing out that that those whose focus is money, those whose end game is to just gather up all the status and all the money that they can, that in this day and age, how that happened was on the back of the poor man. In fact, Barnhouse says that back in this day that you could literally, if there was a rich man and there was a tenant that he had who was late in payment, that you could literally pick him up by the what we would say the shirt collar, and literally drag him into a court. That this was almost a literal thing. We know from from our studies that there are people like tax collectors in this day and age whose desire to be wealthy caused them to side with Rome and to exploit their own countrymen for personal well-being. And James is saying, this is where the pursuit of wealth takes you. This is not who you are. This is not what love of neighbor looks like. This is what love of money looks like. And then in verse 7. Don't miss it. Do they, the rich, not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? They blaspheme that name. That name Speaking of which, nothing is more valuable. It's so clear. So how are we going to see our differences? How are we going to see the orphan? The widow? The poor? Does it pull on your heart about the reality of these kids? That we heard about this morning. For us. It's the name of Christ that binds us together. It's the name of Christ that brings us into this family. And it's this name of Christ that should create a stronger bond than any other bond that this world has to offer. Before I was a pastor here, I was an elder pastor at Crossroads Church, and it taught me so much being there. Uh, We moved uh, part of my tenure there halfway through. We moved to a higher needs area, and so it wasn't. um, It was very common. In fact, um, when I looked out, there was normally about fifty folks when I would get up to preach, and majority of the folks there were well, the majority of folks were probably middle class, but. There was also these other phenomenon that were so interesting that literally on one row you could we there was a couple and they were very wealthy multimillionaires and literally two or three seats down was a homeless man who was sleeping in a tent. And what was so interesting is that as we got to know these people who were pretty wealthy is that they were baby Christians and they had a lot to learn and we needed to pour into them and and help them in their discipleship. And as we got to know this one particular homeless man, and this was not uncommon, is that this man actually had a deep, deep, deep Bible knowledge. He also had an addiction problem, and that kept him on the streets and in and out of things. But when this man was sober, he would often write poems that we would let him stand up and read to the congregation. In Bible studies, he would often raise his hand and have deep insights into the word. And he, he loved people Well, he edified us. And and here's the deal. Both of these groups of people had value. And, And this is what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Should look like. Because it is what it looks like. So we... We have to focus on the right thing. So my call this morning to you. Is to simply ask the question. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? How do you view the community of faith that you, in which you belong? I would like to think and would expect that. Hopefully here that as we are diverse socioeconomically. Is that if we got even more diverse with more extremes than what we know of. That we would be a place that just welcomed that and celebrated that. And it can only be that way as you look at your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Help us this morning. God help us to. Exalt in the name of your Son. Help us to love you supremely. God, I feel it in my own heart. God, help us not to desire the things of this world so much that we show partiality to the rich. And God, there's the opposite side of that as well of the person who might hear this sermon and and say, yeah, I hate those rich people too. God, I pray that you would convict that person that they're showing partiality. Help us, Lord. Help us to be the community that is centered and focused upon your son and what he has done. That we love one another well. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.